You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. E-S-N-Y. some time uh chip and i um you know we're, we're getting into the middle parts of, of the nba franchises here we are very pumped to have brad roland the site manager for peachtree hoops over at sb nation to talk atlanta hawks basketball with us brad how's it going everything's it's going all right you know we're, we're all trying to hang in there right now and you know covering a team that's not in the bubble it's interesting at the moment. It's a very lengthy offseason. We are uh, doing right, and I appreciate you guys having me. Absolutely. Um, and as always, doing this with my co-host, Chip Murphy. Chip, how's your week been so far, man? Good, man. Good. Uh, I'm enjoying the Yankees being back so far. So so far, so good right now, but looks like that season might be ending. But uh enjoying watching that for now, watching that game. Before we started this up, but yeah, happy basketball is about to start back up. We're recording this on Wednesday. Basketball starting up tomorrow, but so far, man, having a good week. You okay? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of the same, you know, str- trying to stay sane, you know, trying uh, getting back to any sense of normalcy that we can. Um, I got Yankees on over here as well, but uh, as I was saying before, I'm super excited to talk ha- Hawks basketball. And, and Brad, I'm gonna let. Chip, start us off here. Uh, but before we get into that, I'm, I'm, I'm especially interested to talk Hawks basketball because uh, Chip and I are both Knicks fans. Take that for what you want it to be. Um, you know, we, we, I guess we enjoy misery uh, in a similar sense. But um, this is we're we're both part of franchises that started or restarted rebuilds around the same time. So I'm interested to see if some of the things that you talk about uh, from your franchises point of view are, are similar to what we have, but um, obviously a tough season record-wise, but there's there's at least, uh, you know, some some significant talent over there in Atlanta, and I'm interested to get into it, but Chip, I'm going to let you start us off here with uh, with our questions for Brad. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I just want to talk about Trey Young, of course, because the Hawks are obviously so much better when he's on the court overall, but his defensive metrics of of course, it's apparent he's one of the uh, worst defensive players on the team, the worst defensive player on the team. They really struggle with him on the court. So he's very, very polarizing. But with that said, Bleacher Report just released their 21 and under best players, and he was second on the list. 
he's one of the best players in the NBA. There's no denying that because of how good he is offensively, not just as a scorer, but as a passer. He makes other players better. So even with how much he struggles defensively, do you think, Brad, that he can be the best player on a championship team? Yeah, I think you've described it well. He is very polarizing, especially because I think you could probably identify this as as guys who cover a team that was not very good the last year or two. Uh, you know, once a narrative sets in, it's very clear that a lot of people don't watch the Hawks anymore. You know, for instance, like people weren't probably paying too close of attention to the Hawks in February this year, and with good reason. I mean, the Hawks were out of it. I get all that from a national perspective, but uh, Trey Young is like sort of at the poles, to use the polarizing phrase, in a lot of different ways. He's small. He is, uh, you know, electrifying offensively. He is, as you mentioned, really bad defensively. So he checks all the boxes of why, you know, depending on how you see basketball, you might see him very differently. You know, to the point about building around him, I think it's challenging. I will say that. I say that as someone who thinks Trey Young is awesome already. And being as young as he is, I think the Hawks uh, nailed their evaluation of him. Um, you know, of course, the, tra- the trade that netted Trey Young was very controversial for a lot of reasons. But in terms of the evaluation of him as a player, they got that very much right. Uh, Trey Young is as good as anyone could have possibly thought that he would be after two years in the NBA. But when you're dealing with a 6'1 point guard who is defensively challenged, we should say, it's really hard to build a title contending roster around him. You almost have to be perfect in terms of how you put your team together. You can't really have other defensive issues. Um, you need to have guys that can cover up for him in certain ways. And there's a reason, you know, if you look back at, at the recent history of the league, the last 30 years or so, there are not a whole lot of teams that win with a with the best player of a score-first, very small point guard. You can be really good. Um, obviously, the Steve Nash Jones are the team that I like to bring up when I talk about Trey Young and the way that you might want to build because uh, Nash is a, a decent comparison for him with the passing and all that stuff. But even then, they never actually got there, even if they got close. So, I don't know. It's, it's a challenge. I think he certainly can be. But the margin for error to build a legitimate title team with him as number one option provided he never gets better defensively, at least a lot better defensively, is uh, going to be challenging, but not impossible. Brad, when you watch the games, um, you know, it's funny because as Knicks fans, you know, we just seen that Tom Thibodeau was just named the coach um, of our team, and, and there's been so much discussion around Carl uh, Anthony Towns during his previous stint in Minnesota as, as a, 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 you know, a really um, inept defender. Um, and, and a lot of that gets placed at Towns's feet, uh, whether it's effort or just doesn't know the schemes. When you watch Trey Young and how much does Lloyd Pierce play into this, have you seen uh, improvements in defense um, from year one to t- year two? Do you, do you feel that the lack of defense is uh, largely due to effort or just you know um, still getting acclimated to the NBA game at his size? Like Where, where do you see the growth? Uh, in the future, maybe in that area coming from? Yeah, I I do think that he was better from year one to year two. Now, I will say it would have been difficult not to be better. He was probably the worst defensive player in the league as a rookie. Um, One of the worst probably still on the whole in year two, but much better in my opinion. And honestly, one of the things that I like to point out is that he, you know, there there were quarters, there were even halves, where he really wasn't a big minus defensively. He locks in sometimes. He's pretty pesky when he wants to be. And that gives you some optimism for the future that, um, you know, a 
a big thing with Troy Young is that he's had to carry this ridiculously large usage and workload offensively, which comes with the territory when you're a big-time talent. But I think even more so with the Hawks the last two years, and especially in year two, actually, they had really nobody else that could carry the load in terms of creating for the offense. They, you know, John Collins is a really good player, but he's more of a play finisher. They didn't really have another creator on the entire roster for most of the season. So Trey Young was carrying this massive workload. And I think um, he sort of learned how to navigate that a little bit more defensively to get better effort. But there are still effort issues at times. And honestly, at his size, he can't afford to have effort issues. That's what it comes down to. The best case scenario for Trey Young, even coming out of the draft defensively, was maybe he gets to be just below average. Um, below average would be much better than he is now, but just the physical tools are not very good um, defensively. He's not big. He's not strong. Um, he does know where to be, which is encouraging. I think he has a really intriguing basketball IQ, which is one of the reasons why you have some optimism about his defense. But um, just the tools are not there for him to be a great defender. Uh, that's not going to happen. But there is a big difference between where he was as a rookie and where he could be uh, next year or the year after that, once he sort of picks up the tricks, picks up picks up uh, the ability to give better effort consistently and just kind of matures defensively. It's always going to be a problem. It'll always be a talking point. Um, but I think the team would acknowledge that he definitely improved in year two. He, he made it more of an emphasis. There are still some maddening moments, but the effort was better. The consistency was better. And uh, at times, honestly, he really wasn't a huge negative on the whole. He certainly was. You can see that in the splits and all that stuff. But I think there's room for optimism that he can be um, not disastrous in the future. I mean, and, um, you know, let's also be honest, too. Uh, the point guard position is the most difficult to defend, probably, in the NBA. Um, and so if if you have a guy with such immense uh, offensive talent and, and he's not disastrous and not such a huge net negative on the other end, you're going to take that, you know, especially um, with the type of player that he is. I almost said this, but not to cut you off, I, almost said, yeah. I forgot to say this. But part of the thing about defense at point guard, too, like I agree with you, it's, it's very difficult to defend at point, guard, at point guard. And also, there is a limit to how destructive you can be as a point guard defensively. You mentioned Carl Anthony Towns. Um, part of the reason why people are frustrated by Towns is that he does have physical tools and you know he wasn't supposed to be this bad of a defender. But honestly, a bad center or a bad big man is much more destructive to a defense than a bad point guard defensively. Yes, Troy Young could make you bad defensively, and certainly he has a negative impact, but um, you can scheme around that in a way that I don't think you really can scheme around a bad big defender on, a, on the same prominent level. I'm, I'm not sure if that's a consensus opinion or not, but that's kind of how I view things that, you know, yes, you could be a big negative at point guard, but when people start talking about the worst or most destructive defenders in the league, Troy Young would have to be so bad at point guard to be that, and I think he can at least avoid being that, whereas he probably wasn't as a rookie. That's how bad he actually was. I think a, a pretty bad point guard defender is just not as big of a problem as a pretty bad, as a pretty bad big man defender or somebody that you can pick up with. Yeah, I, I would, uh, no. I would agree with that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, Brad Stevens did an amazing job at hiding Isaiah Thomas during that playoff yep. run. He would hide him on the, the worst defenders on every team, pretty much no matter what position they played. It all depends on who the guy the point guard is playing next to, I think. Like, they just need to find a like a great defender. Like, look at Steph Curry. Everybody used to kill Steph Curry for his defense. That Nobody talks about that anymore. He's improved as a defender. And that's Trey Young's comp, what everyone talks about. Not that he's actually going to be as good as Steph Curry, but, I mean, that, they just need to find a, the right guy to put next to him. And that goes to 
what I, I wanted to talk about next because while we were researching for this, I read an article in The Athletic by uh, John Hollinger and Chris Kirshner, and they were talking about potential free agents who they think may fit next to Trey Young. And uh, they mentioned Fred Van Vliet and Bogdan Bogdanovich. And then they talked about Chris Dunn, too, because he's a great defender. Uh, I was wondering what you thought of those guys and if there was anyone else you were thinking about for the Hawks in free agency. It's, it's not a great year to be uh, the team that has the most cap space in the league. I think the Hawks right. know that, unfortunately. But they, they've timed this poorly to be the team that has all this flexibility in a really bad free agent year. And you know, everyone assumes that the guys at the very, very top, like Anthony Davis and Brandon Ingram, are going to go back where they currently are. Um, so, yeah, you know, those guys are not bad. I've talked about Van Vliet. I think Van Vliet is interesting in that he would provide the Hawks with a guy who could play next to Trey and also be a backup point guard type. And the Hawks have had nothing behind Trey Young for about the last year and a half now. That would be a very help, big help. But at the same time, you have to pay him a lot of money. And he's Fred Van Vliet for all of his physical uh, physicality and toughness and all that defensively. He's about 6'1". If that, he's a very small in terms of length individual. And you know, pairing him with Trey Young is not perfect because of that. Um, Chris Dunn would be awesome defensively. but And I like Chris Dunn a lot. I think he should be someone the Hawks consider. But more as like a third guard type because he's offensively doesn't really give you much of anything. Um, which is not – it's okay if you're that good of a defender. He can certainly give you some helpful stuff on the defensive end and cover up for Trey and do all kinds of versatile things because he's big and physical. But offensively – it's not great. And Bogdanovich, I think the Kings want to keep, and he's restricted. So, I don't know. My, I think my favorite fit in terms of uh, just what I would be looking for is De'Anthony Melton, actually, mm. from the Grizzlies. Yeah. Um, in part because he's very young, and in part because he does kind of what Dunn can do in that he can play next to Trey, he can play behind Trey. Um, I've always liked Melton. I wanted the Hawks to draft him when he was in the draft two years ago. Um, and you know, more than anything, I, I think I mentioned it, but just the, the age curve. The Hawks want to stay on this age timeline, and all of their key pieces are at least relatively young. And the problem with free agency is that, especially right now, all the unrestricted guys are, you know, they're 28 or 30, and that's not a problem necessarily, but they want to kind of, I think, ideally stay in the same age range. So, you know, long story short, there's nothing perfect about this free agent class. They're going to have to probably overpay to get a lot of guys because, you know, right now, yes, they have Trey Young, but the Hawks are not a glamour situation, so no one's taking a discount to come to Atlanta, I don't think. And they and they know that, so it's about being responsible and trying to find some value on the market in a market that could be squeezed. That's the one, I guess, the bright side, if you want to try to find one in that situation right now, is that the market might be kind of barren with, um, you know, teams not wanting to spend. But the Hawks, they could add a lot of guys. There's just no, like, incredible home run fits for me. I, uh, I I can definitely see that and and um, yeah I, I I was looking at I think it was one of the articles from from Peachtree before we got on and uh, it is a large amount I mean what is it it's like forty six million that they could back if they renounce all of the uh, the guaranteed contracts that they have on there or or anyone who has like an option or something like that I mean it's a pretty big amount yeah it's gonna it's gonna depend on uh, what the cap actually is of course because that's the there's a lot of fluidity there with everything. But, yeah, it's, I'm looking uh, just to make sure I have the right number in front of me. But, yeah, it's about $47 million. Yeah. Um, and it could be less than that if the cap falls a little bit from, his, from the projection. And, honestly, 
all of the decisions that the Hawks have on options and cap holds are pretty easy decisions to not keep. They don't really have any difficult decisions. I know the guy you guys cover the Knicks who have all kinds of team options and non guarantees. Yeah. Uh, this this fall, the Hawks don't really have any of those. They're all everyone. The only one that's actually up for debate is Brandon Goodwin, who is very very cheap. So in terms of the, of the cap space, they know they're going to have forty plus million unless the cap falls dramatically. The problem is just not having uh, ideal guys to spend it on. And that you bring up an interesting point, and I and I do uh, want to kind of connect it with the Knicks a little bit because it's a very frustrating thing that I think our fan base goes through, and I want to see if there's a. A similar feeling for you, um, and if not, I, I'd love to know why. So, obviously, with the Knicks, the huge joke on us uh, the past uh, over the summer was that we bought every power forward on the market, and you know uh, we're gonna all these veterans are, are gonna take time away from the young guys, and uh, yeah, that ended up happening. So, you know, we had we had Alfred Payton, uh, Bobby Portis, Randall, um, Ellington, Bullock. You know, some of those signings were decent and they added some value here and there and some of them were, you know, big flops, right? But a huge argument over um, the course of the year was the amount of minutes that were allotted to veterans as opposed to young players. But when I look at the Hawks team and franchise, and you totally correct me if I'm wrong, that really didn't seem to be the case. There seemed to be a stronger um, alignment in terms of the organization from Travis Schlenk uh, down to Lloyd Pierce uh, and the coaching staff in terms of DeAndre Hunter, Cam Reddish, um, John Collins, and Trey Young are going to play. They're going to play a lot. And Alex Len, um, you know, Vince Carter, Dwayne Dedman, um, who I know wasn't, you know, with the team for the entire year, and, and some of the other guys, uh, you know, they're not going to really interfere um, what do you attribute that to? Do you agree with that approach? Um, you know, what's kind of your take on that? It's interesting. I think two years ago in Trey Young, Trey Young's rookie season, Kevin Herter's rookie season, John Collins' second season, um, they split the difference a little bit more. They definitely let Trey Young have the keys and um, prioritized it, but they had more veterans. They still had Kent Bazemore. They had a couple of you know, veteran bigs that were rotation caliber. Um, They had some more bodies. And honestly, if anything, it was controversial the other way. You mentioned the Knicks spending the money sort of short term and um, probably not ideally. The Hawks kind of punted last summer in kind of a bizarre way. Um, They almost went too far in the other direction where they really really gave the, the young guys nothing around them and kind of made it more difficult for them as a result of that. The supporting cast was markedly worse last year than it was two years ago. And that's how you ended up with, to your point, like Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter are playing a ton of minutes. DeAndre Hunter led, the, led all rookies in minutes this year. And it wasn't really because they were prioritizing him as much as they had no one better than him. They had yeah. no one even as good as him uh, to play. So they kind of stripped down. This That was year three of the rebuild, essentially. Um, and, you know, it's, it's about time, I think, for them to ramp it up. They'll be talking about the playoffs for next year. A little bit louder, obviously, actually much louder than they were last year, kind of leading into the season. I think they're about to turn it up a little bit and go shopping for some veterans that can help them win now. But certainly, uh, to this point, they've been deliberate, and I think wisely deliberate, in their rebuild and not trying to push it too fast. I think that there's definitely a threat of that coming in the next few months, especially if they start to care about you know money concerns and the ownership. There's buzz that they might want to start winning. But, yeah, to this point... You know, the odd decision here or there that you kind of 
always shake your head. Not every team is going to do something that you love every single time. But the Hawks have been good about being deliberate and being cautious and letting their young guys really grow, um, almost to their detriment at times. But I think overall it's, it's been a good development situation. Lloyd Pierce, that's why they hired Lloyd Pierce. When they went and interviewed coaches after Mike Budenholzer left, they really interviewed a bunch of young development focused coaches and that's where they that's why they hired Lloyd Pierce ultimately is for that kind of voice and uh, they've been following that trajectory the last couple of years and I think um, it's it's a point that's well taken because um, you know we've we've heard some quotes from vets and even you know rookies at times that uh, player development is not necessarily about throwing five 20 year olds out there rolling the ball out and say do your thing, you know, like you have to have vets on the floor, on the bench and in the locker room so that, you know, it's, it's, I work in a school. So not only is, is one way that you learn, um, doing, but also by watching as well. So having vets on the floor and understanding where to be during certain times on this offensive scheme, understanding this defensive scheme, how to rotate, um, that's super important as well. Um, but I think, to, to bring that actually uh, to Lloyd Pierce as well, I'm, I'm interested to get your take on him because um, he was, right? He was hired, you know, out of the 76ers um, organization, you know, touted as a player development guy. Uh, and again, you know, you, you definitely correct me where I'm wrong here, but it's, it's as a, a fan of a team that fired David Fisdale after a 4-18 and start in his second year, and there was plenty of bad basketball to justify why he was let go. A lot of double-digit embarrassing losses. Um, it seems that, you know, the, the Hawks are committed to Lloyd Pierce and that development with, with the kids that they have there. Um, you know, based on the record, I would assume that there's been a, a good amount of bad basketball there too. But from <laughs> what I've heard, he has his finger on the pulse of the locker room. The players love playing for him. Um, what do you see from him in terms of scheme? You know, is is he decent with with out of timeouts? I understand it's his second year coaching, um, so there's growth for him as well. But um, do you think he is the the guiding light to bring this team into the next stage of their development? Yeah, I think for the most part, Pierce has garnered positive reviews. I think mean, that's that's right. Um, I, I think he understands the modern game. I think you can see that in the team shot profile. He, what, what they prioritize is what I think they should prioritize. It's a very, it's not super analytics. It's not, it's not the Rockets, but they certainly have a, a profile that's efficient. I think in in general, and he understands what he wants. Um, the critic, the criticism that he has received, at least from fans, is that you know he was billed as this defensive first coach. He was sort of the, the defensive coordinator in Philly. Um, and the Hawks have been pretty bad defensively for both seasons. Now, I would be quick to point out that he's had pretty much zero personnel on that end of the floor. And you know, we talked about Trey Young earlier. He's obviously a problem. Uh, I would say most of their guys to this point that have been in prominent roles have been average or worse in terms of their defensive ability. Um, that's not ideal, obviously. Um, and I think I would say the jury's out on that end of the floor just to be charitable because we haven't seen him have talent, but there also isn't like huge stuff to hang on to other than his past pedigree. And with assistants, you kind of never know because they uh, get reputations, but we, those are earned and uh, in a way that we can't really watch necessarily from where we are publicly. Leadership wise, I think Lloyd's just, he's just a great character guy. I think he is kind of beloved across the league. Even, when, even before he was hired, he had this great reputation. People sort of going to the mat for him. 
I remember at, at his introductory press conference, Robert Covington flew in. Um, a guy, a guy who he had coached in Philly, just flew in on, on a whim to come and be there to and to congratulate him and be there for him. Um, he had no reason to do that. That's the kind of stuff that you hear about Lloyd Pierce being a great voice in the locker room. He's still a young coach, a young guy, and he's a first-time coach. Uh, he's certainly learned. He's he's uh, communicated that. There was one uh, a bit of a flare-up. Uh, I'm not even sure how much of their one there was, but I think it was in January of this year. There was some reporting that him and Troy Young were butting heads. A bit, and I think honestly, that was mostly because the team was just playing terribly, and no one likes to lose. Um, inevitably, you're going to get a little bit of that stuff. And I, I think, if we're being honest, Lloyd Pierce has done pretty much everything possible to put Trey Young in great positions, kind of giving him the keys from day one. So I don't know why Trey wouldn't be happy with Lloyd Pierce. But anyway, it's it's interesting. They, they see him as a leader for sure in the organization. He's been fantastic the last few months when they have not been playing basketball, but he's really developed as sort of like a national voice for NBA coaches doing lots of interviews. And he's just, he's really uh, a really great guy to talk to in a lot of different ways. So none of, a lot of that's not basketball. I understand that, but uh, they, they like Lloyd Pierce. They value Lloyd Pierce. Eventually you have to win and everyone knows that. And I think this year, um, if they don't win, there'll probably be some heat just because guys who get to year three and don't win at all, don't always, uh, you know, get the most positive reviews. You know, Brett Brown is the exception, a guy who made it all the way out of a rebuild that took a long time. Most of the time, it's more like the physical situation that you, that you pointed out where a guy probably gets fired a little bit too early because the results are bad. Um, so far, Lloyd Pierce, I believe, is 49 and 100 in his career. If that continues in year three, he might be in some trouble just because of the way things work. But uh, I, generally think, I generally think that he's been a pretty good coach so far, and I like everything that he brings to the table. Yeah, it's hard to justify losing three years in a row when you have an all-star on your team, franchise player, especially in the Eastern Conference. I think it'll be tough for him. But no, he was great on the on the low post. He's clearly like really revered with all of his peers. Everybody likes him. So I think it I forgot he came from Philly. He's every assistant coach comes from a the same different organization. Spurs, Sixers, Heat. No, he's no, I, I remember the thing with Trey Young, and everybody was going crazy about that because Trey Young assigned to Clutch Sports, so that was a big deal <laughs> on Twitter, that Trey Young was already planning his exile from Atlanta. That was, of course, everybody was going off on that. But no, I, I, I don't think uh, there's any issue there. I mean, I like Lloyd Pierce. He seems like a, a good coach so far. I'm... I think he's done a good job for for the roster that he's had. You mentioned earlier, Brad. I couldn't name a single backup point guard on the Hawks outside of Jeff Teague, who I think they just traded for to bring him back, like before the uh, coronavirus hit. So I think he's done a pretty good job with what he's had. I kind of, I know it's East Coast bias, I guess, but I kind of compare the situation that he's in to what Kenny Atkinson was facing to try and build up a culture with a new player. I mean, obviously, D'Angelo Russell isn't Trey Young, but he's he's in a very similar situation, I think. And it's going to depend on the type of relationship he has with uh, Travis Schlenk, I guess, to see what happens going forward. But, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, and Travis did hire him, which is I think is a, a good thing in his column in terms of having a little bit less pressure. Um, they came in together. It was his first hire. And, again, he is kind of just beloved as a guy, which certainly helps. It's not the end-all, be-all. Uh, 
many guys have been fired as head coaches that everybody likes if the results weren't yeah. there. But um, as a tiebreaker of sorts, I think the fact that they really like um, his character, his leadership is uh, certainly helpful there. I think um, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't bring up John Collins in this conversation. Uh, Chip and I are yeah. big fans of John Collins. Love uh, John Collins. So uh, we're very interested to hear your take on this question. I know this is probably a very tired question on Hawks Twitter and Hawks Reddit, um, but I am really interested to see how it, what kind of shakes out. Uh, so the Hawks obviously moved for Clint Capella uh, during this season uh, to get you know a, a rim runner and, and, uh, and rim defender. Um, John Collins, outside of his uh, 25-game PED um, suspension, uh, really had a great season, 21-10, and 10, shooting 40% from three. And I saw a stat that I believe he led the league in points per possession as the role man in the pick and roll. Um, I believe he's eligible for a extension this summer. Um, I, I'm interested to hear your take on the fit, first and foremost, with Clint Capella. Um, and if they just flat out write him a check this summer and say, listen, uh, we see you and Trey as building blocks going forward. Uh, we want you to be a Hawk, um, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, or do they, you know, um, get a little skittish based on the, the cap, um, from COVID and, and what kind of that entails? What do you, how do you think that situation is going to shake out? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'll start I'll start on the fit. I, I think um, I was one of these people as well. But a lot of a lot a lot of people have talked about Collins potentially being better at the five. I, I thought that coming out of college and early in his career that he was going to be a center. Um, maybe not all the time, but as a primary look. And uh, I think that that, that 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 still could work in a lot of ways. I think he is a, a classic, you know, four point five, where he really is a combo big in every sense of the word. Um, but when you have Trey Young and other defensive issues, it becomes harder to play a guy at the five full time that isn't going to be a dominant defensive player in any, in any way, shape, or form. I think Collins made big strides and notable strides in year three as a defender. He was much better this season, especially in an off ball, you know, weak side shot blocking kind of role. His instincts were better. Um, his motor was better defensively, and that, and that, that should give people a lot of confidence about him long term. But he's not going to be a dominant defender. Uh, he's more of like, a, you're hoping for average from him. And at the five, that's tough. And I think um, they kind of already decided this. I think John sees himself as a four. Um, and that matters how the player sees themselves. And the team, I think with this move, especially, but even before the move to get Capella kind of decided that he's going to be a primary four. Yes. He's going to play some five. He's going to be a, you know, a, a small ball five closing, closing lineups, all that stuff. That's a, that's something that they, that they can go to when they need to, or when they want to, but I think they want to put him next to a center. Uh, is Capella the kind of center that you would draw up in a lab to put next to John Collins? I, I would say no. Um, Capella, Capella is a good player. I think that's what happened, honestly. It's not this simple, but it kind of is, and that Capella became available because the Rockets made a decision that they, that they couldn't have him on the floor anymore with Russell Westbrook, etc., and the Hawks um, needed a center in a bad way. They had nothing at center, and I think it was as simple as this is a guy who can get right now for a pretty reasonable price, just a mid-first-round pick. He's under contract for three more years. He's reasonably paid. He's a good player. He'll help us. Let's do it. It was pretty much that simple. I think they, they know deep down that's not a great fit with Collins, but because of Collins' development this year uh, on the perimeter, 
as a shooter. Um, I don't think he's probably going to be a true talent 40% three-point shooter like he was this year, but I think he's certainly made strides to the point where he's going to be a mid-to-high 33-point shooter on decent volume, and that allows you to do a lot more than what you might have been able to do if he didn't develop as a shooter. Same thing athletically, um, defending in space, it's been a little bit better. Um, you know, Having both of those guys, their number one strengths, you mentioned it before about cons going uh, to the rim as a, as a dive man and pick and roll, that, that's also Capella's number one strength offensively. So those guys do overlap a little bit, and I think you probably want to stagger them a little uh, to give Trey Young and everybody else a, a legitimately really good role man all the time. But long story short, I think it definitely can work. I think the fit questions are real, but they're also slightly overblown in some circles. I think it certainly can work because of the because of the development that Collins has made, and because Capella is just a pretty good player, especially defensively. I don't really worry about this at all. So, would it be better if they had a center that was more of like a Miles Turner type or a uh, a Porzingis type, you know, unicorn, more of a pick and pop shooter type? Yeah, ideally. That's what you would want. But th- there's only so many of those guys in the league that can defend the rim and also shoot. Um, and Capella is just good at basketball. So that's going to work. I, they, they would have loved to have seen those two guys play at some point this year um, between Capella's injury and then the, the early shutdown. They, they haven't seen it, and that's unfortunate. But I think they're going to be all right, and they're planning on that working. Um, the extension topic, as I think you even said, it's been a big one on, uh, on Hawks Twitter. And with good reason, like anytime a really good player and Collins averaged 2010 this year, essentially uh, on really good efficiency and was really good. Um, when that guy comes in for an extension, that's a natural talking point. Uh, it's really weird in a number of ways, this negotiation that's going to be happening. Um, for one, you have the uncertainty with the cap. You have the COVID concerns and the, the money troubles around the league. Um, that's Those are all really important and worthwhile things to discuss. And then you have the basketball stuff where – John Collins, because he was a pretty late first-round pick, he was number 19 overall, has a cap hold of only $12 million. Um, and that is a lot, but it's not in the way that you would think. Like, for instance, other guys in his class, if you're a top-five pick, your cap hold is $25 million or so. Um, and the minute you sign a guy to an extension, uh, and if they do that this summer or, I guess, fall now for John Collins, um, you're kind of lighting that extra space on fire. I know the Hawks have a lot of cap space, for sure, but that's for this year. But for 2021, they have a, a pretty big incentive to not extend him because that way their last time having gas space most likely is going to be in 2021 because after that, Trey Young starts getting paid, etc. So if they want to be big players in the free agent market next summer in 2021 where there actually are max players available, they have a really big incentive to not extend John Collins. Also, he had the suspension this year. You can debate on how much that impacts things, but they weren't happy. I can tell you that. They were not thrilled that he got a 25-game suspension. Um, that's probably something they would at least float in a negotiation just to say, look, you, your guy, I know he's awesome this year, but, John, you know, that wasn't great to have that on your on your resume um, in, year, in year three. Um, and then everything else. I mean, it's – is he proven as a good player? Absolutely. But this year, because it was a shortened season and he had the suspension – this is by far his best season, but if you're the Hawks and you're trying to play hardball, you could certainly argue to an agent that the 40-game sample size was not enough to prove that you're a good defender or to prove that you were a great shooter, etc. So, in some ways, it could be a really natural, easy decision for the Hawks if they want to just reward a guy and keep him happy. John has been vocal in wanting an extension, and I don't blame them. Guys should want to get paid. But uh, it's not a no-brainer by any means, especially because, as you guys know, 
you can just match on anything next summer or you can still come to a deal next summer. There's no risk of him actually leaving. So if they value that cap space, if they want to see it one more year with Capella, if they want to see it one more year with Trey Young, they could wait, even though even if that might not be a popular move um, with, with John or his agent. Uh, there's a lot of competing factors here. And honestly, I don't have a great answer as to what they're going to do because I think Collins is – want some max extension or close to it. And I don't blame him as a guy who put up his numbers that he did, but the numbers don't tell the whole story. I really like John. I think he's really good and I would want to keep him long-term if I was the Hawks, but extension wise, there's just a number of factors to play. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Isn't there, um, and, and you, I think you were discussing it as well. So, I mean, if they extended him this summer, um, that first year of the contract, I mean, that I, I think it would be something around like, like 25 mil or something like that. Uh, would put a huge dent, like you said, in, in the cap hole. But um, then I guess they, you know, the downside is uh, if they let him hit a restricted free agency, of course, like you said, you know, they would most likely match anything that a, that a team puts out there unless they, they really felt he wasn't worth the max and they really wanted to try and kind of um, bring him in for a, a lower dollar amount and some team went over the top of that. But, I mean, those are like obviously uh, – you know, outlier situations. I think that both both sides, at least from what I've read, want to get something done. Colin sounds like he wants to be a hawk. Um, he does. Hopefully, yeah. I mean, yeah. I was gonna say it's it's interesting because I'll say this. Uh, this is just my opinion. I would not give him the max certainly this summer, um, and I understand that he would like to get the max. But if you're the Hawks, the only incentive you have to give him an extension is if he takes a little bit of a discount. I'm not expecting him to take a massive one. He's too good to take. $15 million a year or whatever it's going to be. But I certainly I would draw the line at, at getting in the max a year early. Um, he's For me, this is the way I approach things across the league, honestly. like The most recent example of this that I can point to is Jamal Murray in Denver, where Jamal Murray is a good player, but Denver gave him the full max a year early, and, and, I, and I don't know why. I don't understand the thought process behind that. Was he, was he, prob- was he probably going to get it the, the next year? Sure he was, but... There's, for guys who are not like no-brainer max guys, there's just no incentive for the team to pay them a year early because then the team is taking on all the risk. The last time the Hawks did an extension with a guy on their roster, it was, it was Dennis Schroeder, who they paid a year early, and about six months after they gave the extension, they, they didn't like that extension anymore. And that's he's not as good as John Collins. It's a different scenario. But for me, the general rule on extensions is if you're not getting a discount, you don't give the guy an extension a year early unless unless that guy is an absolute superstar. Like when Trey Young comes up, they're gonna give him the they're gonna give him the max. They won't even they won't even argue about it. But that, that next tier down, if you're not a top thirty player in the league or so, um, I think you have to at least try to get a discount. And if not, there's no reason to pay that guy. Chip, how about you? But then if he, yeah, but then if he doesn't sign the extension, you you face a situation like. Uh, what happened with Utah and Gordon Hayward, right? Where there's still like that's the risk, bitter yeah. feelings because they, yeah, because he signs with another team you, and uh, then they match it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the the only downside is maybe you really get an angry player, and that's where the team situation has to come into play, where you have to get a feel on the on the player. Um, but even then, like the downside is that he signs a three plus one, and you still have a guy locked in for his prime years for three more years. I know that's not great, but. You know that there are worse scenarios than that, and honestly, there is an argument. This is, I, I would say, a small faction of the Hawks fan base, but one that exists um, that would tell you that look, if if you can't get him, if you can't get him signed, you might want to go ahead and trade. And I, I'm not in that camp, but I also wouldn't dismiss that out of hand 
because of the fit, the fit concerns and the team building concerns. When you already have a guy like Trey Young, if you don't love John Collins' defense or whatever it is, um, there would be an argument if you don't extend him now that maybe the best course of action is to at least see what you can get for him. Again, I don't think that way, but there are people that think that, De- that DeAndre Hunter is a four, et cetera. I go down that rabbit hole for you all day long. But that is another scenario with, with guys who don't get extensions that you start hearing rumblings that maybe teams don't want to pay that guy and they trade him. What, you know, The Hawks just did that actually a year ago, again, with a worse player than John Collins. But they decided they were, that they were not going to give Torian Prince any money, and they traded him a year before he had free agency. Um, and they got a pretty good haul for him. But that's, it was different because – That was a was, smart trade. It was. It was a great, it was a great yeah. trade. And, and, they, and they knew, and I knew, and honestly that's the difference here is that I think everybody kind of knew that, that they were not going to pay Torian Prince. Um, that's not the case with John Collins. John Collins is a lot better than Torian Prince, and they do want to keep him. But that, that's, a, that's an example where if you decide that you have a breaking point on the money – if, if next summer you're scared that someone's going to max him and you won't want to match that, um, then you've got to think about it. You've got to think about trading him because the, the worst thing you could possibly do is let a guy hit free agency, get scared off by the money, and let him go for nothing. That's, that's, that's what you don't want to do. Yeah. Um, uh, to staying on the conversation of kind of like the Hawks supplementary players, um, of, of Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, and DeAndre Hunter – uh, even teams that stay in the lottery for three, four, or five years, it's rare to have, honestly, more than two, maybe three players that are long-term fits for the franchise. Of the guys that I just mentioned, who do you think is going to be um, a hawk that makes it to his next contract? I'm glad you said that, just as a uh, as something I wanted to just start with. Uh, there's this notion with every rebuilding team, and especially with the Hawks, that every guy you draft has to be a part of your team forever. And it's just not the case. I mean, I guess occasionally teams do it that way, but the money the money says that the odds say that at least one of, one or two of these guys the Hawks have drafted in the last couple of years are going to get traded or not stick. You're talking so to Knicks fans, so trust me, we know that all too well. Yeah, I know you guys do, but uh, other <laughs> yeah. people do. Other, other people do not. So it's especially in the Hawks. I mean, I think half the questions that I get are about uh, it's like a lineup construction, and it's always the it's always the five guys. And it's like, I understand, but they're probably going to move on from one of these guys at some point. Okay, anyway, um, to answer your question, I think the guy, um, and this is just me reading between the lines. No one said this to me out loud. Um, I think if I had to pick one that they are most invested in right now, it's probably Cam Reddish. Um, they loved Cam Reddish in the draft. Uh, that was an open secret for months and months and months. I know they actually took DeAndre Hunter ahead of him and traded a lot for DeAndre Hunter in a deal that was uh, not the greatest value proposition in the world. But they, you know, Reddish, they love. They really do. I can tell you they like them. They like all these guys, to be fair. But they, uh, there's just something about the way they talk about Reddish, the way they feel about Reddish. Um, and he has the pedigree as the, you know, he was a five-star high school prospect. He wasn't great at Duke, I understand that. And he was really bad early in his rookie season, but actually quietly pretty good after that. Um, I think if you ask me, predict the guy that they like the most or the guy they want to keep the most it's probably reddish but they're all pretty close uh hunter like i said they gave, they gave up a ton for him they still really like him i think they're not scared off by what they saw this year herder they've you know Schlank drafted him his first in his first draft he's the best offensive player of the three right now um they need a shooting so yeah i you know i, I do think that along the way they're going to make a consolidation trade almost every team like this is going to do a deal like that where you're going to trade one or two of these guys to try to go get a star or get a more established player. But they do like all three. I just think I would probably put Reddish slightly ahead of the other two from what I 
uh, interpret. No one said that, but uh, the way that I'm interpreting it. I know uh, that makes sense, and yeah, and I, I mean, I'm a huge Duke fan, so I obviously I root for Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett, and I wanted to. I'm glad you brought up Cam Reddish, Jeff, because I wanted to ask you about Cam, Brad. Uh, one of the big debates that, for some reason, I guess just because they both went to Duke, is would you is who's going to have the better career, Cam Reddish or R.J. Barrett? Who would you rather have, R.J. Barrett or Cam Reddish? Whatever I. So I want to ask you, as someone who knows a lot more about Cam Reddish than us, the NBA player, uh, who do you who do you like more right now? Who do you like more going forward, RJ or Cam? I'm going to give you an enormous cop out answer. Are you ready for this? Sure. Um, I, I think it depends on what you want and need and prioritize. Because I think it's probably easier to build with Cam Reddish. Uh, Reddish is a really good defender. Um, number one, that's the thing that I like most about Reddish. That's the thing I always like most about Reddish. That's probably what he was underrated for as a college player. And he was really, actually, even when he was really bad offensively earlier this year, he, he was always guarding. He's really quick um, and instinctual on that on the floor. So I think as a role player and just like the prototypical you know role player defender who could do a little bit on offense, I think it's probably easier to just plug Reddish in kind of anywhere. Um, I think he's always been overrated as like a mixtape, uh, you know, a mixtape phenomenon creator guy. I think Cam's real value is with his defense yeah. and stuff. Um, whereas RJ, I think RJ has higher upside as a like a more lead creator offensively. But also, if RJ doesn't work out, I mean, you guys know him better than I do. If he doesn't end up popping like that as a number one lead creator type, the other supplementary things are not quite as clear in a team winning concept than Reddish. So it kind of, it's so early to that. I think, like you said, it's kind of a silly argument right now, but they're, they're just very different. And I think if you wanted the safety of a definite role player who can fit, you would go with Cam. If you want a little bit more pop offensively, you might go with RJ. Yeah, and that makes yeah. sense, uh, especially when you talk about depends on what you need. Because on a team with Trey Young, um, having RJ is uh, you know not not necessary. I mean, you you want to have shooting around Trey. Um, you know, RJ can certainly be a, a secondary playmaker. Uh, he certainly gets to the line a lot. There's there's a lot to like about him in terms of his frame, his body. He's got a a ton of strength, uh, but a lot is going to rely on his shot. Um, so when I guess we're looking at a range of outcomes in terms of what a player still has to work on uh, to, to fit in a modern NBA lineup, you know, Cam is, is, is right there. And I think, honestly, as the season went on in the NBA, a lot of people came around on Cam Reddish. You know, I know in the beginning there was a lot of videos out there that were, you know, um, uh, not necessarily positive in, in light towards him. But I think that changed as the season went on, and, and maybe that speaks to you know, some of the player development that, that Lloyd Pierce has going on down there, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it can't be overstated how bad he was offensively early. In the season. And, that, and that was real. I mean, it's not, and I'm not trying to poke fun. And honestly, it was kind of foreseeable. I pretty much called it because he didn't play well at Duke. He had an injury. He missed the whole summer. There was just no way he was ready to play a big role offensively early on. And he ended up, to bring things full circle, like we talked about earlier, the Hawks had nobody else. So he had, he had to play right away and play too much. And he just wasn't ready to play offensively. Um, but yeah, he showed a lot of growth. I, I do think that um, 
again, some, some Hawks fans are getting carried away with like his star upside. I've always felt that way. It probably exists somewhere in there where he does have some pop, but um, I like, I've always liked his, uh, his secondary stuff, his defense, his feel, his, even his passing a little bit more than, uh, the, than the scoring and the, uh, I, guess the, I guess the quote-unquote sexy stuff about the, uh, the box score. <laughs> Um, uh, last one for me, uh, and then I'll ask Chip um, if he has, has another Hawks question for you. But uh, so I, I've I've been doing a ton of draft stuff, uh, and, and even though we're light years away, even though the, you know the lottery is is uh, at least somewhat of a you know a month close. Um, I'm very we're getting there. yeah, we are. We're getting there, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, hopefully, some some coin flips will we'll see what happens. But as things stand right now, the Hawks have the sixth pick in the draft. It's obviously a big draft for them. Um, I've seen, you know, I've seen some players that, like Bleacher Report's Jonathan Wasserman had said that he really likes the fit of a guard like a Tyrese Halliburton next to Trey Young. Um, do you like Tyrese Halliburton, first off, as a prospect? Would you like his fit? Are there other names that you think, um, you know, could fit what the Hawks are, uh, are looking for right now as well? Yeah, it's a really interesting spot for the Hawks because um, they already have, unlike most of the teams that are drafting near the top, they already have their guy, Trey Young. And that's what most teams are looking for is that, you know, lead guy at the top of the draft. The Hawks don't necessarily have to have that. Uh, would they like to have Anthony Edwards? They probably would. Um, if they get lucky in the lottery, uh, he's a local kid and has upside and uh, more, of a sh- more of a shooting guard, of course. But more practically, like you said, in, their, in the range that they're more likely to be in, there's lots of options. They have there's a couple wings. You mentioned Halliburton. that'd be one potentially. Uh, they like they like Isaac Okoro. I can tell you that they like him a lot out of Auburn. He's actually a local Atlanta kid, um, good defender. Obviously, um, I think Devin Vassell would be interesting. Uh, less sexy, but a three and D guy. They could every every team needs three and D guys. Um, I don't know. It's really interesting because there's not an obvious, definite need on the roster, but I say that. And I also think there are places where the Hawks certainly could invest. The only thing that I've always been saying this entire time about the Hawks draft is that I wouldn't draft a point guard, like a pure point guard. And even then, there really isn't a guy. Like even, for instance, LaMelo Ball is a point guard. But LaMelo Ball is 6'7". If things worked out with LaMelo Ball and Trey Young, you guys, you could play those guys together. I'm not saying it's perfect fit because it's not. But that's not like a close the door on it thing. And I don't like to draft for fit necessarily at the top of the draft. Um, but the only way that I would is if you already are drafting around a guy like Trey Young. But even then, there's not like a small guard to avoid. So I don't know. There's not my, I don't have a ton of favorites. I think ultimately in that range, I would probably go with one of the wings. Um, and it wouldn't be terribly sexy because I, don't, I honestly don't love the upside of many of those guys. I think Coro might be the, the most interesting upside guy because he's such a good athlete. But you could see anybody. I mean, I've seen so many mock drafts. I'm sure you guys are doing this too. I think the Hawks have been attached to pretty much every single top ten prospect at this point. Yeah, in the mock draft because the Hawks are a team where genuinely you can't close the door on really anyone. I guess maybe a center is not a great fit with what they already have. But I saw you, you mentioned Wasserman. I saw him mock James Wiseman of the Hawks this morning. Yeah. So they're a team that can really do just about anything, which makes my life both hard and easy. And that I could talk about all these guys endlessly and not cross anybody off, but it's also really hard when people ask me to like pick a guy or two because I have preferences like anybody else, but they could kind of do anything. Well, then I, let me let me pair this question with um, let me try and ask it 
not 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 necessarily draft related, but in terms of like franchise direction. Um, so if if the Hawks, you know, if they feel like there's not necessarily a an area of need, but you're always trying to improve talent, um, and if they're not necessarily decided on whether they would go for fit over talent, uh, could you see them? Uh, and I know this would obviously have cap implications trying to package the pick uh, maybe with one of the other younger guys to get a more established veteran in uh, that can, I don't want to say speed. Sometimes you say speed up the rebuild and it has a negative connotation, but can help the Hawks win uh, more quickly. Um, Do you see that as maybe a potential major factor in the decision-making going forward? I think certainly they have to consider trading. I mean, you, you mentioned speeding up. I think I talked about it earlier. But I think the Hawks are in a spot now where they're not like totally going to throw the rebuild out the window, but I think they're ready to speed up a little bit and try to make the playoffs next year, for instance. Not go all in to do it, but maybe get a little bit more aggressive. And being that this draft is not a great draft, according to really anyone, um, it would probably be a pretty good time to do that if there was a target that they thought was worthy of that kind of investment. Um, part of the problem is when people ask this question to people like us is that it's hard to just pick out trade rumors out of thin air. Everybody always wants to know who it's going to be the Hawks can trade for. Unless you have intel about who's available, it's really hard to do that. Um, but yeah, in general, overall, I think I would certainly, maybe not like actively shop that pick to try to do that, but you have to be open to it. I think the Hawks, the only thing the Hawks shouldn't do, in my opinion, is trade up in this draft. I would not look to trade up um, as Atlanta, but trading out for a player, like you said, or maybe trading down to get an extra asset, those things should be on the table for me. And I think in general, a consolidation deal of some sort, whether it be with a pick or with a, 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 one, of young, one of the young players or both, um, is something that would not surprise me at all, especially because they do have all this cap space. And like we said earlier, there's not that many guys to spend it on. So maybe you can take on salary, fill up your cap a little bit with someone who's already under contract that's making real money elsewhere. And you're one of these teams that actually has the flexibility to take on someone making $20 million if that's a good investment for you, um, especially in a situation where teams could be looking to unload money to someone. Chip, what about you? You, What do you think about the trade or any any, um, other Hawks questions? I was just going to ask Brad if he was in or out on Anthony Edwards because I want to know. Uh, Actually, that's uh, a good one. That's a good We could talk about that. Yeah, I think the answer compared to the consensus is I'm probably closer to out. Um, I'm not out, though. I'm not totally out. I, I think I've said this before on my, on my podcast, but uh, if the Hawks get the number one pick, I expect them to take Anthony Edwards. I wouldn't like bet my life on it. But I think he's the most natural, obvious fit for what Atlanta would be looking for at the very, very top of the draft. With that said, I don't think that Anthony Edwards is a traditional top two or three pick in a draft. I think this draft is bad, and I think he is really talented. But if you watch him enough, you will get uh, frustrated, I would say. Yeah. Um, the, talent, the, the talent's really good. Um, I think it could really work for him, especially if he tries on defense. That's a big thing because that his effort level is not very good a lot. But uh, So, yeah, I would lean to out. Compared to, the, to, compared to the people that I've seen that like him more than I do. But at the same time, I still have him in my top three in this class because of uh, just the class being the way that it is. Yeah, mo- motor and uh, awareness really scare me a lot for him. Um, yep. However, uh, I know I've, I've talked to Chip and 
Even there was another guy that, that we know on a site that we follow that wrote a really good article on him. Uh, man, some of his playmaking is, is actually really, really impressive uh, for a guy that has a uh, shoot first and, and scores mentality. Like, yeah. the only problem is, is it, it seems to only come together within these pocket moments where he's really engaged and focused, um, surrounded by, you know, other times where it's like it looks like he could give a fuck. But, you know, um, <laughs> super, super talented for sure. Yep. Agreed. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't know that I had uh, too many other ones. Chip, any any other Hawks questions for Brad? No, I don't think so. I want. I think I asked everything I wanted to ask. I definitely wanted to talk about cons. That yeah. was what I wanted to talk about. I I talk, I've, I've talked too much already. So that's, no, uh, that's no, fun. not at yeah. all, man. I, I mean, they're, they're such an interesting team for for a lot of reasons. Like I was saying in the beginning, as Knicks fans, like I see similarities. Um, but I'm also kind of jealous of the Hawks, A, because they have better players, but B, because uh, it seems like they have a little bit more of a backbone in terms of this is the plan that we agree to and we're going to stick with it. Um, then it, then again, it also seems like the people that were put in place to um, drive that plan uh, you know, seem to have some competency and are, are kind of with it. Um, you know, but, but we'll see. Uh, they, they're an interesting team to me for sure. But I think um, that's that's probably going to do it for us here. Uh, Brad, listen, man, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, before we let you go, if you could tell all the good people listening, uh, if you're on Twitter, where they can find you on Twitter, if there's something you're working on and want to promote it, um, please do. Yeah, sure. No, thanks, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciated the uh, invite and uh, the conversation. I am the, I guess, site manager or managing editor, however you want to say that, at Peachtree Hoops, covering the Hawks. I have a, a good staff over there, and we have we have fun covering them. I also host the Locked on Hawks podcast, um, which is more Hawks talk, and uh, you can find all of my uh, work written and audio at on my Twitter page, on my Twitter page, which is at BT Roland, R W L A N D, and uh, I, I tweet a lot, so my apologies in advance if you try to follow me, but. Yeah, it's uh, always uh, a pleasure to talk about basketball, so thanks for having me on. Awesome. And uh, from Chip and I, uh, we'll be continuing with our uh, NBA A through Z series. Uh, I believe the Jazz are up next, and and then it's going to be our Knicks, so I'm sure that'll be an interesting episode as well. Uh, For everyone listening, uh, we hope everyone is safe, and we'll talk to you soon.